Please listen carefully. Salutations, toppers, and welcome to episode 52. We made it, y'all. It's been a whole year of turning phrases, exploring etymology, making pals, and just all around having fun. Whether you've been with me from day one, or if this is your first episode to ever listen to, or if you fit in anywhere in between, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening. Without you, I'd just be talking to myself, and knowing that you're out there on the other end of this audio adventure makes it all the more fulfilling. So today is the third and final part of our anniversary bonanza, and I truly hope you've enjoyed this little group project I've put together. I bet you're wondering who's joining us today. Well, we have CK from Mirths and Monsters, Angel and Nikki from Color Me Dead, and Paul from Varmints. It's going to be a fun episode for sure, and I think it's time we get to it. We're wrapping up the inaugural year of the Turn of Phrases podcast with six phrases. So, let's get to their origins, history, and more. So, first up is CK from over at the Mirths and Monsters podcast. I'll let him take it from here. Hello, this is CK from the podcast Mirths and Monsters. I want to thank Brisky for inviting me to uh, suggest a couple of phrases that I like but I don't know the history of. I'll have a stab at guessing what they might be from. I very much doubt that they'll be correct but I'll give it a go. I'd also like to say congratulations and managed to do this for a whole year and not going insane, as far as I'm aware. So, the two that I've decided to do, the first one is another bite at the cherry, or another bite of the apple. So I know what it means, which is you can have another go. So if someone fails in one event, like 100 metres, they can have another go... Uh, the 400 metres, got a second bite of the apple, second bite of the cherry. As for where it comes from, I'm going to say Bible, because it's normally the Bible. Um, <laughs> maybe there was a game um, where, okay, I'm just thinking off the top of my head now. Maybe it's a game like Snap, but you play with cherries or apples, and you're putting down your fruit <laughs> and then if you get a match the first one to pick it up wins but if you don't then you can get a second bite of the cherry or apple <laughs> maybe that's what it's from that sounds perfectly sensible <laughs> the second one I was going to do is teaching your granny to suck eggs or as it's pronounced where I'm from the northeast of Scotland it's teaching your granny to suck eggs which means as far as I'm aware trying to teach somebody something that they're more than familiar with I can't even imagine where this um, phrase comes from why an egg needs sucked 
I'm not entirely sure. Why it's upon the head or mouth of the granny of the family to suck said egg. Also no idea. I'm imagining a setup in a family where perhaps the dad does some log chopping or the mum does some log chopping and the dad cooks or vice versa and then the more obscure jobs like the egg sucking just give it to granny give it to granny she's happy in her chair just rocking back and forth I've genuinely I've got no idea um, I know it's a phrase that I've heard but as to where it comes from no I'm not even sure why you would need to suck an egg unless it's for Easter oh bible um <laughs> maybe that the situation is you're making eggs and you're going to decorate them so you have to kind of pinprick them to get the yolk out so maybe granny sucks out the yolk and the albumin and she downs it because she's got a problem maybe she's thoroughly deficient in egg juice So she sucks the egg, and then she passes him back, and folk draw their faces, and they have a good old Easter hunt. There you go. So, they are my options. (laughs) But again, congratulations on one year of doing your amazing podcast. I know that I'll continue to listen, and uh, you do it so, so very well. I shall speak to you soon. This is CK from Mirths and Monsters, saying... Slancha, your good health. Thank you, CK. And not so sure on the whole saying anything, but I guess time will tell. So first, let's tackle your fruity phrase. I really wish this was from playing a fruity version of Snap, because I'd be down for that. Alas, it's not. Maybe we can make that an official game, though. No one steal our game idea, please. Fruit Snap is coming to a store near you. (laughs) Okay, it's probably not. Let's move on. I'll be honest. I didn't find a huge amount of information about this one. But I'll share what I did find. These days, another bite of the cherry or apple is indeed used to say that you get a second chance at something. However, it originally seemed to be used as a put-down. It was basically used to imply someone was so incompetent that they needed two bites to eat a small cherry. We know this thanks to the Oxford English Dictionary, which lists the etymology as being from the writings of Motix Rebellius, an English author, playwright, and translator. He wrote, quote, By Jingo, I believe he would make three bits of a cherry. End quote. There was a slightly different expression in old-timey times that lends itself to the put-down theory. People used to say two bites of a cherry to refer to taking two bites when only one was needed, so it was used to imply something was needless or overdone. As for how we got from cherries to apples, well, it just sort of happened. There are actually several fruity phrases from old-timey times that used to use the word cherry, because that fruit was more widespread at the time. However, as apples became more popular and easier to get, they slowly began replacing cherries in many sayings. Maybe one day I'll do an episode on phrases that have evolved in this way. 
but for now, we need to figure out how this saying became more positive. There's actually even less definitive information about this part, but there's plenty of speculation. The consensus seems to be this. Apples require more than one bite to eat, so taking a second bite of them doesn't make you as incompetent as a two-bite cherry eater. It's really just a saying that's evolved with time to fit better into everyday conversation. Oh, and although this is hotly debated, some people do think this saying has ties to the Bible, going back to the story of Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruit. However, it seems that plenty of people think this is hogwash, so like everything else with this phrase, it's a bit up in the air. But I thought I'd mention the possible biblical connection since you brought it up. Sorry to leave it so ambiguous, but that's all I got. So let's teach Granny to suck some eggs. You were completely correct about the meaning of this one. The idiom teach granny to suck eggs does mean that you're trying to teach someone something they already know how to do, and typically they're even better than you at the thing you're trying to teach them. Now, unlike the last saying, it's unlikely that this one came from the Bible. Although sucking eggs can clean them out so that the shell can be decorated, and people decorate eggs for Easter, and Easter was in the Bible, so, eh, maybe. Anyway, we know it was in use prior to 1539, because that's the year it's put into a collection of Proverbs. It was in the Apothemata Opus by Erasmus of Rotterdam, who we've heard from before. Since he was Dutch, and I can't speak Dutch, I'll be reading a translation from an English playwright named Nicola Udall. His 1542 translation was, quote, A swine to teach Myrna was a proverb, for which we say, English to teach our dame to spin. End quote. This was basically a saying about teaching older women to dance, something they would have already been able to do. As for it sounding more like what we say today, we need to jump ahead to another translation from 1707. That year, John Stevens, an English captain and translator, translated the collected comedies of Spanish playwright Francisco de Quevedo. Now, I couldn't confirm exactly when Quevedo wrote the original text, but he died in 1645, so it has to be at least that old. Here's the translated phrase from Stevens in 1707. Quote, You would have me teach my granddame to suck eggs. End quote. As for why people, grannies or otherwise, suck eggs, I couldn't really find anything for sure. As I mentioned, it is a way to clean out eggs to be able to decorate the shells, and sure, some people probably do it for food. However, I'm afraid this one is going to have to be a little ambiguous as well, but I hope I gave you enough information to ingest. Thank you again for participating in my anniversary bonanza. Now, let's hear from Angel and Nikki from the Color Me Dead podcast. Hey guys, this is Angel and Nikki, and we are the lovely gory gals of the Color Me Dead podcast. We were asked graciously by the host of Turn of Phrases to send in a little blip for her year anniversary. Congratulations. Like say, yes, and yes. I like how you say blip. Blip. Mm-hmm. Bleep. I like it. I like it. Yes. Yes. I think one of my favorite phrases was... Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. 
And I'm... (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I'm pretty sure this was like 16th or 17th century European When the whole family took a bath. When the whole family used the same freaking bath water. And it was the men, I believe, bathed first. Did the women go before the kids? The women? Didn't didn't the... I believe so. The adults went first and then the children? and then the children. So by the time you got to the baby... The bath water was so filthy and disgusting that it was like, okay, don't throw the baby away with the bath water. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's how that all went down. I don't know. It would be interesting to find such a thing out. I would also know, I would, and this one I think comes from the same way where it's like, I don't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that comes from like the same era. Yeah. For like really poverty-stricken families. I just went into deep thought about that now. Because my mom and dad used to say that all the time. Yeah. We don't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. I'm like, what the hell does that even mean? I don't know what you're saying. Can you please just use normal Can you just tell me that we're poor? And say we don't have any money and we'll move on. (laughs) That... Can you just tell me that we're having tanguiches for dinner? (laughs) How do you like your spam? Spam's actually quite expensive. I know. What's cheap that we eat a lot? Bologna. How do you want your hamburger helper? Right. Do you want your bologna fried or fresh? That's the only way to eat bologna. I don't like bologna, do you? I love bologna. Bologna and cheese with mayo and mustard. So tell us if we're right or wrong on that one because I think I'm correct, but I'm not 100% sure. Why would you throw the pot of piss out the window? That's what I. That's what they really did. All right. Like they didn't just like dump it. Like I mean, come go out the front door. Go piss out there. Yeah, but if you lived in a castle and you were on like the sixth floor of a castle or something crazy, I'd hate to be outside. Fair enough, and get showered. Golden shower. Maybe that's where that come from. Oh, oh we've got three good ones for you now. Where does the phrase "golden shower" come from? <laughs> yeah, what? Well, I mean, we know, <laughs> we know, but where did it originate? <laughs> where? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you guys are interested in anything true crime with a lot of adult material, way too much adult material, and two hosts who are twelve in spirit. It's true. We're very immature. Very immature. You can check us out at Color Me Dead Podcast. Um, we're on iTunes. You can find us on Podbean, all kinds of places. Um, also, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, as well as Twitter. 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 So, yes. hopefully, I was... We were... Close? Close? Yeah. I don't know. I guess it'll be a fun episode to listen to. Can't wait to find out. So, maybe don't throw piss out of windows I and don't... maybe... Stay out of chalk lines. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks, gals. So, let's break this all down. I found out the most information about your first phrase, so that's a doubly good place to start. The idiom, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, is used to tell someone they shouldn't give up something good just to get rid of something bad. It's basically a way to remind someone to think about all the consequences of a decision or action before moving forward. Y'all guessed that it came from either 16th or 17th century European bathing practices, and while you're not far off with the timing, 
the origin you gave, while wildly popular and accepted by many, is actually not correct. It's easy to see why people believe in this origin, though, because it's not that hard to imagine it happening. If several family members shared the same basin of bathwater, which people definitely used to do in old-timey times, the water would be darkened quite a bit by all the dirt. And if something small, like a baby, was in that water, it's not impossible to think you wouldn't be able to see it, and could accidentally dump out the water with the not-so-clean baby still in it. That being said, there doesn't seem to be any documented cases of people being unable to find their babies after dumping out the family bath. So why does this origin story stick so well to this idiom? Basically because we talk about it so much. Between word of mouth and email chain letters, this false folk origin has become cemented in our minds. So where did it really come from? From Germany, apparently. While no one seems to know for certain who said it first, we find it in print in 1512. A German satirist, poet, and translator named Thomas Murner wrote a book called Nerenbescherung, I think. <laughs> However it's pronounced, it basically means appeal to fools in English. The original German proverb was das Kind mit dem Bad Aschuten, which, if said properly, translates to pour the baby out with the bath. In the book, there was a woodcut illustration of a woman throwing a baby out with the bathwater. No one seems to know if Murner came up with the saying or just wrote it down, but it doesn't seem to be in the vernacular before he put it in his book. Many people like the more popular idea of people dumping out kids on accident simply because it's more tangible than a drawing. It's something we can imagine happening, and so it feels more real than it ever was and it makes for a more fun tale to tell others than just a guy drew a picture of it. Let's face it, before indoor plumbing was a thing, getting a basin of water warm enough to take a pleasant bath was pretty hard to do, so most people didn't take many baths. They likely just washed up most of the time, especially if they were poor. And yes, that is my segue into your next phrase. If you don't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of, then you're really poor. This saying is similar to the last one in the sense that it has a debatable origin. Many people believe that folks in old-timey times used to dump their full chamber pots right out the window, and many others believe the idea of people doing this just plain stinks. I'll briefly touch on both sides of the argument. To keep things straight, I'll call the naysayers number ones, and the pro-poo folks number twos. The number ones maintain that humans have always been averse to the smell and sight of bodily waste, and so they wouldn't have wanted it to pile up in the streets. On the other side of the argument, the number two folks say that for that exact reason, people didn't want the waste in their homes, so they dumped it out through their doors and windows. Many places have laws on the books, even to this day, to keep people from pouring out their poo. So the number twos say that that backs up that people used to pour their portable potties outside. Because if people weren't doing it, why would there need to be a law made to stop it? The number ones tend to argue against this by saying that the law was to stop it from happening in the first place, not to make it stop. Now, I wasn't around in the 16th century. 
But since chamber pots have been in use since at least the 6th century BC, I'm willing to bet at least one person has dumped one out a window. So is too much dumping why the laws were created? I don't know. What I can tell you is that even if there are two sides to the argument, one thing is certain. Pretty much everyone agrees that the idea of people dumping chamber pots out windows is where this idiom comes from, whether or not they believe it ever happened much at all. If someone couldn't afford a chamber pot, they were extremely poor, and not having a window to throw it out of implied being homeless. So it's easy to see why this is used to describe being poor. As for the believed first use in writing, it's a lot more recent than you'd probably expect. It supposedly wasn't used idiomatically in writing until 1936. That year, Juna Barnes published the novel Nightwood, and in it, she wrote, quote, My heart aches for all poor creatures putting on a dog, and not a pot to piss in or a window to throw it from. End quote. That's pretty much all I've got for this one, so let's look at your last saying, golden shower. To keep things as family-friendly as possible, I'm not going to go into much detail on this one. But it doesn't come from old-timey times. It's only been around since about the 1940s. It has nothing to do with chamber pots being emptied out of windows. It's just a slang that was invented less than 80 years ago. No one really seems to know who first coined the phrase. So, Angel and Nikki, I'll leave it at that. I want to thank you both again for joining me in celebrating my anniversary bonanza. Now it's time to hear from the very first pod pal I ever made, Paul, from the Varmints Podcast. Greetings and salutations, Brisky. This is your buddy Paul, host of the Varmints Podcast, congratulating you on one year of turn of phrases what a remarkable little podcast you have. I enjoy it so much. It really just makes Monday worth looking forward to. Hey, you know, there's one phrase that I use a lot in my life, and that is until you're blue in the face. Like when you say something like, well, you can do that until you're blue in the face. And I, I say that all the time, and I, I, I don't know where it comes from. I mean, I know what it means. It means that you can do the same thing over and over and over again, and you're going to get the same result or no result. But I don't know where the blue in the face comes from. I don't know if that means you're going to run out of breath. I don't know if blue in the face means you can keep doing that until you're dead. And I've always wondered where that came from. So um, I would like to hear the etymology of that little phrase that I use all the time. Thanks, Brisky. Thank you, Paul. All right, so yes. The idiom, until you're blue in the face, does mean you can do the same thing over and over again and get the same or no result. It can also mean that you talk without ceasing. And I can tell you why. When we humans exert ourselves, it can cause our skin to take on a slightly bluish hue. This is due to something called oxygen cyanosis, and it basically just means that there isn't enough oxygen getting to certain areas. One of the most commonly affected areas are the lips, which lends itself even further to this saying. If you're going on and on about something, not stopping to breathe as deeply as you normally do, it could lead to a blue tint on your lips. 
So this saying really just comes from an observation of how doing strenuous or repetitive activities can manifest physically. The doing something until you die idea isn't too far off, because skin does turn blue once we leave this world. So if you do something enough to make it seem like you'll die doing it, you could do that thing until you became literally blue in the face. Now, since there isn't much information on this, as it's relatively straightforward, I went a little bit in another direction in my research. I wanted to know if there was more than just the observation that I mentioned that lended itself to the word blue being in this phrase. While I can't tell you exactly when or who this idiom came from, I can tell you how blue became associated with being angry or upset. To do that, we have to get livid. And to understand livid, we need to go into nature and find some slow fruit. I'm telling you, I ended up down a rabbit hole on this one. Okay, a slow, spelled S-L-O-E, is the dark blue fruit found on the Prunus spinosa, a large shrub. A slow is a droop, which is a stone fruit, so it's similar in form to a plum or peach. It's thought to have gotten its name, at least in some way, from the ancient German word slakefon, which meant blue-black. If we then go to the Latin word levere, which also means blue-black, we eventually end up with the word livid, meaning extremely angry. So from ancient German to fruit to Latin, we end up with blue being used to describe angry people. Then, though it's unclear as to why, sometime in the early 20th century, probably around 1910, it became associated with paleness as well. So, even though I took you on a strange journey and probably gave you more questions than answers, I hope I gave you enough information to work with, Paul. Thank you again for being willing to take part in my anniversary bonanza. Alright, toppers. We did it. We finished 52 episodes. A whole year's worth. Thank you for lending me your ears week after week and month after month. I thoroughly hope you've enjoyed this first year as much as I have and that you're looking forward to more. I can't truly express my thankfulness for each and every one of you properly. There just isn't a phrase I can think of that encompasses how grateful I feel. But sometimes the simplest way is the best way. So I'll just leave you with this. Until next time, toppers. Thank you. Toodaloo. And now... This is... Let me rephrase. But I thought I'd mention the possible biblical... <laughs> Although sucking eggs can clean out the shell, so nope. We know it was used prior. Nope, <laughs> we don't know that. It was in the apophthegmata. Apophthegmata. It was in the apophthegmata. <laughs> that can't be right. Apop. Apophthegmata. Thigmata. It was in the Apophthegmata open. <laughs> okay, we're going to have to look this one up. Uh.
Oh no, my little pronouncer dude isn't working. Apothem. Apothem? <laughs> it sounds like you're saying a possum with a lisp. I'd like to go over and pet that apothem, please. <laughs> I still don't know how to say it. This false folk origin has become centered. Nope, that's not, that's not what I wrote. One of the most commonly affected areas are the lips, which lends itself even further to this say. <laughs> well, that just didn't work. We're going to try that again. Because we all do. Mm, nope, nope, nope. I wanted to. I don't know. I just made like four words all in one. Let's. Nope. If we then go to the Latin word livere. I got slake fun, but I messed up livere. Sometime in the earliest 20. Earliest? <laughs> That's not a word. 